Section 3 of O. Henry Encore by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dissipated Jeweler. You will not find the name of Thomas Keeling in the Houston City Directory. It might have been there by this time if Mr. Keeling had not discontinued his business a month or so ago and moved to other parts. Mr. Keeling came to Houston about that time and opened up a small detective bureau. He offered his services to the public as a detective in rather a modest way. He did not aspire to be a rival of the Pinkerton Agency, but preferred to work along less risky lines. If an employer wanted the habits of a clerk looked into, or a lady wanted an eye kept upon a somewhat too gay husband, Mr. Keeling was the man to take the job. He was a quiet, studious man with theories. He read Emile Gaboreau and Conan Doyle, and hoped someday to take a higher place in his profession. He had held a subordinate place in a large detective bureau in the East, but as promotion was slow, he decided to come west, where the field was not so well covered. Mr. Keeling had saved during several years the sum of $900, which he deposited in the safe of a businessman in Houston to whom he had letters of introduction from a common friend. He rented a small upstairs office on an obscure street, hung out a sign stating his business, and, burying himself in one of Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories, waited for customers. Three days after he opened his bureau, which consisted of himself, a client called to see him. It was a young lady, apparently about 26 years of age. She was slender and rather tall and neatly dressed. She wore a thin veil, which she threw back upon her black straw hat after she had taken the chair Mr. Keeling offered her. She had a delicate, refined face with rather quick gray eyes and a slightly nervous manner. I came to see you, sir, she said in a sweet but somewhat sad contralto voice, because you are comparatively a stranger, and I could not bear to discuss my private affairs with any of my friends. I desire to employ you to watch the movements of my husband. Humiliating as this confession is to me, I fear that his affections are no longer mine. Before I married him, he was infatuated with a young woman connected with a family with whom he boarded. We have been married five years, and very happily. But this young woman has recently moved to Houston, and I have reasons to suspect that he is paying her attentions. I want you to catch his movements as closely as possible and report to me. I will call here at your office every other day at a given time to learn what you have discovered. My name is Mrs. R., and my husband is well known. He keeps a small jewelry store on street. I will pay you well for your services, and here is twenty to begin with. The lady handed Mr. Keeling the bill, and he took it carelessly, as if such things were very, very common in his business. He assured her that he would carry out her wishes faithfully, and asked her to call again the afternoon after the next at four o'clock for the first report. The next day, Mr. Keeling made the necessary inquiries toward beginning operations. He found the jewelry store, 
and went inside ostensibly to have the crystal of his watch tightened. The jeweler, Mr. R., was a man apparently thirty-five years of age, of very quiet manners and industrious ways. His store was small, but contained a nice selection of goods and quite a large assortment of diamonds, jewelry, and watches. Further inquiry elicited the information that Mr. R. was a man of excellent habits, never drank, and was always at work at his jeweler's bench. Mr. Keeling loafed around near the door of the jewelry store for several hours that day, and was finally rewarded by seeing a flashily dressed young woman with black hair and eyes enter the store. Mr. Keeling sauntered nearer the door, where he could see what took place inside. The young woman walked confidently to the rear of the store, leaned over the counter, and spoke familiarly to Mr. R. He rose from his bench, and they talked in low tones for a few minutes. Finally, the jeweler handed her some coins, which Mr. Keeling heard clinking as they passed into her hands. The woman then came out and walked rapidly down the street. Mr. Keeling's client was at his office promptly at the time agreed upon. She was anxious to know if he'd seen anything to corroborate her suspicions. The detective told her what he had seen. That she is, said the lady, when he had described the young woman who had entered the store. The brazen, bold thing, and so Charles is giving her money to think that things should come to this pass. The lady pressed a handkerchief to her eyes in an agitated way. Mrs. R., said the detective, what is your desire in this matter? To what point do you wish me to prosecute inquiries? I want to see with my own eyes enough to convince me of what I suspect. I also want witnesses so I can instigate suit for divorce. I will not lead the life I'm now living any longer. She then handed the detective a ten-dollar bill. On the day following the next, when she came to Mr. Keeling's office to hear his report, he said, I dropped into the store this afternoon on some trifling pretext. This young woman was already there, but she did not remain long. Before she left, she said, Charlie, we will have a jolly little supper tonight, as you suggest. Then we will come around to the store and have a nice chat while you finish that setting for the diamond brooch, with no one to interrupt us. Tonight, Mrs. R., I think will be a good time for you to witness the meeting between your husband and the object of his infatuation, and you satisfy your mind how matters stand. The wretch, cried the lady with flashing eyes, he told me at dinner that he would be detained late tonight with some important work, and this is the way he spends his time away from me. I suggest, said the detective, that you conceal yourself in the store so you can hear what they say, and when you've heard enough, you can summon witnesses and confront your husband before them. The very thing, said the lady. I believe there's a policeman whose beat is along the street the store is on, who is acquainted with our family. His duties will lead him to be in the vicinity of the store after dark. Why not see him, explain the whole matter to him, and, when I've heard enough, let you and him appear as witnesses? I will speak with him, said the detective, and persuade him to assist us. 
and you will please come to my office a little before dark tonight so we can arrange to trap them. The detective hunted up the policeman and explained the situation. That's funny, said the guardian of the peace. I didn't know I was a gay boy at all, but then you can never tell about anybody. So his wife wants to catch him tonight. Let's see. She wants to hide herself inside the store and hear what they say. There's a little room in the back of the store where R keeps his coal and old boxes. The door between is locked, of course, but if you can get her through that into the store, she can hide somewhere. I don't like to mix up in these affairs, but I sympathize with the lady. I've known her ever since we were children, and don't mind helping her to do what she wants. About dusk that evening, the detective's client came hurriedly to his office. She was dressed plainly in black and wore a dark, round hat, and her face was covered with a veil. If Charlie should see me, he will not recognize me, she said. Mr. Keeling and the lady strolled down the street opposite the jewelry store, and about eight o'clock the young woman they were watching for entered the store. Immediately afterwards she came out with Mr. R., took his arm, and they hurried away, presumably to their supper. The detective felt the arm of the lady tremble. The wretch, she said bitterly, he thinks me at home innocently waiting for him, while he's out carousing with that artful designing minx. Oh, the perfidy of man! Mr. Keeling took the lady through an open hallway that led into the backyard of the store. The outer door of the back room was unlocked, and they entered. In the store, said Mrs. R., near the bench where my husband works, is a large table, the cover of which hangs to the floor. If I could get under that, I could hear every word that was said. Mr. Keeling took a big bunch of skeleton keys from his pocket, and in a few minutes found one that opened the door into the jewelry store. The gas was burning from one jet turned very low. The lady stepped into the store and said, I will bolt this door from the inside, and I want you to follow my husband and that woman. See if they are at supper, and if they are, when they start back, you must come back to this room and let me know by tapping thrice on the door. After I listen to their conversation long enough, I will unbolt the door, and we will confront the guilty pair together. I may need you to protect me, for I do not know what they might attempt to do to me. The detective made his way softly out and followed the jeweler and the woman. He soon discovered that they had taken a private room in a little out-of-the-way restaurant and had ordered supper. He lingered about until they came out and then hurried back to the store and, entering the back room, tapped three times on the door. In a few minutes, the jeweler entered with the woman, and the detective saw the light shine more brightly through a crack in the door. He could hear the man and woman conversing familiarly and constantly, but he could not distinguish their words. He slipped around again to the street, and looking through the window could see Mr. R. working away at his jeweler's bench, while the black-haired woman sat close to his side and talked. I'll give him a little time, thought Mr. Keeling, and he strolled down the street. 
the policeman was standing on the corner. The detective told him that Mrs. R. was concealed in the store and that the scheme was working nicely. I'll drop back now, said Mr. Keeling, so as to be ready when the lady springs her trap. The policeman walked back with him and took a look through the window. They seem to have made up all right. Where's the other woman gotten to? Why, there she's sitting by him, said the detective. I'm talking about the girl R. had out to supper. So am I, said the detective. You seem to be mixed up, said the policeman. Do you know that lady with R? That's the woman he was out with. That's R's wife, said the policeman. I've known her for fifteen years. Then who? gasped the detective. Lord Almighty, then who's under the table? Mr. Keeling began to kick at the door of the store. Mr. R came forward and opened it. The policeman and the detective entered. Look under that table quick, yelled the detective. The policeman raised the cover and dragged out a blade dress, a black veil, and a woman's wig of black hair. Is this lady your wife? asked Mr. Keeling excitedly, pointing out the dark-eyed young woman who was regarding them in great surprise. Certainly, said the jeweler. Now what the thunder are you looking under my tables, kicking down my door for, if you please? Look in your showcases, said the policeman, who began to size up the situation. The diamond rings and watches that were missing amounted to eight hundred dollars, and the next day the detective settled the bill. Explanations were made to the jeweler that night, and an hour later Mr. Keeling sat in his office, busily engaged in looking over his albums of Crook's photos. At last he found one, and he stopped turning over the leaves and tore his hair. Under the picture of a smooth-faced young man with delicate features was the following description. James H. Miggles, alias Slick Simon, alias the Weeping Widow, alias Bunko Kate, alias Jimmy the Sneak, general confidence man and burglar, works generally in female disguises, very plausible and dangerous, wanted in Kansas City, Oshkosh, New Orleans, and Milwaukee. This is why Mr. Thomas Keeling did not continue his detective business in Houston. Houston Daily Post, Sunday morning, May 17, 1896. End of section 3